Good Gab, sponsored by Skillskin, a nonprofit organization empowering individuals with disabilities through employment. Good morning, everybody. Uh, today, we have the pleasure to speak with Steve Einhaus, the peer support specialist at Eastern State Hospital. Steve, thanks for joining us. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Steve, I was just curious, like, yeah, how long have you been in Spokane? You know, I was I was born in Seattle, and I was shipped over here about six weeks old. So I've lived <laughs> six in, weeks? Yeah, that's forever. That's forever, yeah. man. And I uh, I was here the uh, rest of my life, basically. I was born in Seattle, raised in Spokane, and uh, this is my home. Me too. Spokane's my home. Like, I love this place. My, me too. Yeah, like, uh, it's just an incredible community. It really is. It's a great community. When, when Spokane gets together and does stuff like Who Fest and Bloomsday, we do it right. I know. Can you imagine that? It's like where else in this country can you just shut down whole downtowns and and just bring, you know, 100,000 people down? Oh, I know. It's, it's fantastic. And uh, so I love Spokane. It's been very good to me. It's also been good because of the social services. We're a red city in a blue state. So we really get funded well for social services, and there's a lot of resources out there to help people who desperately need it. Really? Like, uh, what kind of resources are out there that you can think of that's, like, a well-funded? Oh, I guess know, I haven't heard that very often. I hear a lot <laughs> of the times it's we're not funded. Well, <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know. SNAP. Uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of funding for stuff like uh, mental health, like yeah. frontier behavioral health. We have yep. uh, Eastern Washington University, which has a great social work program because we have a state hospital in our backyard, Eastern State Hospital. Uh, what else? What else? What else? What else? And that's where you work, right? Is it, it is, state? yes. Yeah. And I want to be very clear on this. Um, <clears throat> I, I work for the state. These views that I'm presenting don't represent the state. They're just my views and my story and kind of what I've been through. Well, we are so grateful you're here, Steve, and you have to, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself, and it's awesome. So you've been here for a long time. Like, yes. Kind of tell us a little bit about your journey in Spokane. Where'd you go to school? Well, I grew up on the Upper South Hill, so I went to Mullen Road. I went to Sacagawea. I went to Ferris High School. At Ferris, I was an honor student. Believe it or not, and I, I went, went to Ferris too. Oh no, great minds, <laughs> great names. What more do you want? I know. Jeez. Okay. Well, I gotta ask. What year did you graduate? Ninety four. Okay, I'm two thousand, so I came right after you. I love it, man. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I love nice. it. Yeah. I'm. I'm. What I call us the Ferrisites. <laughs> yeah. That is hilarious. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. I will always be known as the Ferrisite from here on. That's perfect. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, I, uh, I'm just going to get into my story real quick. Please. I went to Eastern Washington University. My first year, I was a stellar student. I was clipping through. I was an honor student out there. And 20 years old, tragedy struck. So, for me, I, I flunked out of college, and I ended up on the forensic unit at Eastern State Hospital looking at a lot of time for what I did. Oh, man. It was terrible, man. And... Uh, I remember to this day thinking, what happened? Well, growing up, I grew up with my father's uh, parents, my paternal grandparents. And the thing about that was uh, growing up, I always thought my mother was a drug addict because she lived a really poor quality of life. She, grew, she lived in group homes. She dressed funny. She said funny things. She, uh, she just didn't fit the, 
the norm for what the Upper South Hill folks were like. Everybody sure. in my neighborhood had their families, siblings. So nuclear family was all together. And lo and behold, there was me growing up with grandparents, a single, you know, a single kid, only child. Yeah, and as a was, kid, yeah, you're like, yeah, it doesn't compute. It didn't compute yeah. with me, no. Well, at 20 years old, I realized uh, something really profound, and that was my mom was not a drug addict. She actually had a major mental illness called schizophrenia. And somehow, genetically, it got passed down to me. And that genetic component was huge in my, the start of my recovery from schizophrenia because it gave me a reason why things weren't going right in my life. It's really it's a silver lining to the cloud. And that silver lining is, you know, there's a reason socially when other people were blossoming, I was wilting. It wasn't because I was dumb. It wasn't because I didn't wasn't trying. It's because I had a, a physical disability, mental illness that manifested at 20 years old and kept me from doing what I wanted to do in life. And that was just go to law school and be a lawyer. That's and what I was wanting. And your gene said no to that particular moment. Exactly. 20. Exactly. 20 years old, my genes rebelled. And it was tough because... I did something so out of character with who I was that I realized it was something beyond me. It was the mental illness was something beyond me and that my brain was, as I tell the patients at Eastern State Hospital, hardwired to go haywire. So my brain is different than yours structurally, biochemically, and there's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. Because a lot of people don't understand mental illness, nor should they. But the one thing I want to really get across is when people are sick, they do things that are different and get them in trouble. Right. Please don't judge people with mental illness by who they are when they're sick. Because when they're sick, they're not themselves. There's sick Steven, there's well Steven, there's a continuum of well Steve. And what I want to really stress is people with mental illness can be very good, very, very well-intentioned people and have good hearts and have good character they do things that are out of character when they're sick well that's been my experience you know working at Skillskin. you know we uh help people with disabilities find employment that's why we exist and some of the folks that come through you know they might have uh like a physical challenge or developmental challenge or mental health challenges and um that's what I've experienced is like when someone is sick and it's not all the time, it's, mm -hmm. it comes, there's moments, there's chunks of time, but yeah, they're not their self. And I remember when I first, it was, it was really my first experience, like, um, managing people, um, you know, that are experiencing mental illness and I was like, this is not, you know, we'll just, just call him Bob. This is not Bob. Like, what is happening? And it wasn't in my mind until, like, he helped educate me mm -hmm. what was happening in his world. Yeah. And he's like, Steve, you know, I changed my medication. This isn't going to look right for a little bit. Yeah. And I didn't know that. And so once I uh, understood that a little bit more, I was able to, like, be more empathetic and and understand big okay pop's gonna be good in a few weeks <laughs> yeah. i just yeah we'll just go through this together and i asked i think that in my evolution it was like at first i'm like okay and then the time would go by but the next time i was like hey how can i support you during this time and that was a different level of uh management for me i was like okay and you right. know he told me he's like hey just give me a, a you know 
an extra half hour to get to work because mornings are real tough right now or something like that. And everyone's different. Right. Um, but that helped me understand and to be, you know, a better manager of people when we were just in communication. Mm-hmm. So thank you for yeah telling our listeners. It's like, yeah, this is not them. I feel you. I yeah. understand what you're saying. Yes. And, uh, one thing about med changes that's fascinating is med changes are tough not only on the people who are watching it happen, but on the person who's going through it. And the reason is because it changes your personality, it changes the way you interpret things, and it changes your world. And whenever you're going through minor or major med changes, the problem is <laughs> you're getting used to a new you because this affects the part of you that interprets reality. This affects your brain. So how you interpret reality changes from med to med. And it can be really profoundly impactful on a person who changes meds. So like you said, Bob, Bob will say he, uh, he had two weeks or three weeks or a month or whatever to get back on track. Well, it's a little scary. I bet. Because, you know, I've been through two psychotic episodes. And each time I got in a lot of trouble. And I'm not, on the, um, I'm not on the continuum so much. I'm on an outlier. A lot of people with mental illness are more likely to be victimized than to mm-hmm. be perpetrators of crime. For some reason, I lie on that outer edge where when I get really goofed up, I act out and I do things that are not good. And they, hurt, they can hurt other people very badly. So for me, it's a real important message to get out too that when somebody's sick, that doesn't necessarily mean they're violent. Right. That's huge. And when medications change, the thing that's really important is knowing to get used to that new person and embrace that new person, even if it's a slight deviation from who they used to be, because you know what? They have to, too. And the scary thing is, what if this med doesn't work, man? What if this med kind of goes sideways on me and isn't it like the old med? And so it takes a lot of courage to do. A lot of courage. And yet uh, the, the payout can be so much greater than the risk. For me, when I got on Abilify and Zoloft, it was incredible. Uh, my world came back. It was so cool, you guys. Um, I was on. I was been on every uh, second generation atypical antipsychotic known to man. I've been on Zyprexa, Geodon, Risperdal, Seroquel, even on Navane and Haldol. And when I got on the Abilify, which was a newer medication, all of a sudden, man, it was like. I got my emotions back. You're like, what is happening? What is happening to me? I'm, I'm actually becoming somewhat normal again. And on, and I, I was on the Abilify for six months. And then I got on uh, Zoloft. And when I got on the, the Abilify and Zoloft, my recovery took off. That was about 20 years ago. It was an incredible feeling. Like all that hard work. All the, It took 13 years to get a proper diagnosis and get on the proper... Five years to get a proper diagnosis. 13 to get on the right meds where I could actually do well again. That's a long journey. It is a long <laughs> journey. And, you know, whenever somebody's arm breaks, like Nolan Ryan, you think about it. Will you expect him to throw a 100-mile-per-hour fastball six weeks after his arm broke? No. Yeah. No, it's not going to happen. Well, when a brain breaks, it can take decades to fix it can take uh, up to a lifetime to overcome the trauma and recovery and all that 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 was put on the brain by something that the person who has it didn't control so for me when i got on the abilify and zoloft i told one of my mentors i said hey man i can do this now i can actually make a run at my life again but a lot of people you have to have a long-term vision on it you have to think okay right now maybe the medication i'm on isn't the right med for me but in order to keep my brain intact and to keep my, my sanity, 
I need to stick on this even though the side effects aren't very pleasant. And what are some yeah. of the side effects? Well, weight gain, there's sexual dysfunction, there's dry mouth. It kind of it checks you out to the world a little bit. You know, I've heard patients call them dumb dumb pills and happy pills. I've heard those terms. Yes. Yep. And the thing about that is, you know, they have to do that in order to slow your thinking down enough so that you can process what's really going on and get rid of the delusional thoughts or the depressive thoughts and get a shot at life again. Another thing I really want to stress is if somebody's on a medication that works really well, work with your doctor not to switch it up. I think that's really important to hear for our listeners. It is because yeah. because if you think about it, if it's working really well, Work with your doctor if you want to make a med change. Don't try to do it on your own. Don't try to taper off on your own. Listen to the doctor. I learned that the hard way. Can I ask a question about that? Because that's something that we experience uh, in at Skillskin sometimes is when people, you know, they do try to titrate. Yes. And it's on their own. They're not with their doctors. And honestly, I don't know what to say because I, I'm not in, in, in their mind and their body and what they're feeling, the side effects that are happening. So it's hard for me to, I feel like I'm going to say the wrong thing. What, what, what should I say the next time I know someone? They're like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop. And I'm like, I always ask, did you talk to your doctor? What's mm-hmm. the next thing I should say? Unfortunately, there's no magic bullet in mental illness. There's not something you're going to say they're going, oh, the light bulb came on. I'm going to go on and I'm going to have this really, really successful recovery-driven life. What you want to do is just encourage them. A lot of times with mental illness, when it takes a person, a regular person, one time to figure something out, it'll take somebody with mental illness four. And my my whole philosophy on that is if somebody's going to titrate off their medication, just keep encouraging them to talk to their doctor. That's the message. Hey, did you talk to your doctor? No. A couple days later, hey, did you talk to your doctor? No. And keep reiterating that message over and over and over till they say, wait a sec, there's a reason this is happening. So I'm not being a jerk by doing that. I'm just being, because uh, I care, right? So right. You can do, I love that. I love that. I know that'll be helpful. It is helpful. And people with mental illness more than anything need what anybody else does. That's a heck of a lot of support and just a kind, compassionate, empathetic ear. You know, I mean, kindness goes a long way because people with mental illness are often misunderstood. We're marginalized. We're put in the kind of the dregs of society a little bit. And it's unfair. It's really unfair to the mentally ill because... It's a a gene sometimes. You're like, what? I didn't do anything. It's just... It's a physical yeah. disability. Yes. It's just people don't understand it because it's part of your the way your brain functions. You can't see it. You can't <laughs> see it. And yeah. so, you know, what I've learned too is a lot of people with mental illness, they have blind spots in their thinking. My apartment's a pigsty. It's okay. It's part of my blind spot. I don't like cleaning. Uh, I have some other blind spots. I have a hard time with social cues sometimes. I have a hard time interpreting body language. I have a hard time with a lot of things. And back when I was told this stuff, I didn't know what it meant. Because when I was in therapy, bless their hearts, they were giving me a a a modality called CBT, which was cognitive behavioral therapy, which was great if you weren't struggling with psychosis. So then uh, about, I don't know how long ago it was, maybe 10 or maybe I don't know how long ago it was, but they came up with this thing called CBT for psychosis. Ding, 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 yeah, ding. The like, light went right. on. It's like, I get this. You know, because, and, and the therapists that I worked with at Family Services really saved my life. 
they did a fantastic job of being empathetic, compassionate, kind. And I can't say enough good things. When I, when I talked about services in the community, uh, they did yeoman's work. They did fantastic for me. They all the therapists I had there were top notch. They were kind of like the special forces of therapy. Incredible. They, they dealt with people with my specific disability and helped put me back together. Well, okay, let's maybe let's talk a little bit about employers, and maybe I'd love to hear your perspective on what can employers do when someone like self identifies that there's mental illness that they're experiencing. Um, do you have any advice for them? I do. First of all, um, you need to know who to disclose to. I've had some bad experiences with employers in the past. You need to know who to talk to. And I know the best people for me to talk to are employee, uh, one of the human resource, employee resources. Uh-huh. Because if you tell somebody who's in a position of power who doesn't know how to deal with it, you might get canned. And yeah, that's a that sad, terrible. It's yeah. a sad reality of, okay. of working with a mental illness. The cool thing about yeah. my job, Steve, is I actually get to disclose my mental illness and work with people who are where I used to be. And my mental illness is a real asset. It's a strength where I work. A lot of employers, mental illness is not a strength. Mental illness is a sign of weakness. It's a sign that the person uh, might not, in, in the employer's mind, be competent to do the job. And they want to get rid of you. So what my thinking is, is you want to talk to the employee employment resources and get it to the right person. I know it's tough, but in a lot of jobs, disclosing your mental illness might not be the right idea. And that's a tough thing because you're a cold hard truth though, but maybe employers who are listening to this, like help change your culture at home. Absolutely. Like, this is it's in your house. You can help, you know, be more open to talking about this. Talk to your HR resources, your managers, your frontline staff. Like, let's normalize, you know, this conversation. And one of the biggest <laughs> parts of my recovery, Steve, was work. It, it's the cornerstone. And for me, the coolest thing is not the paycheck. It's not the structure that the work gives me. It's actually the socialization with other people. Yeah. I'm too busy to be sick. I'm too, I have too many responsibilities to have symptoms, if that makes any sense. And one thing about mentally ill people that sets us apart from people is most of us are highly intelligent and we just have, a, um, we have some disabilities that knock us down. Right. But there's still something to be said for that level of intellect. The intellect, in my, in my case, and a lot of people with mental illness, doesn't go away. I got, through, I got through college, yeah. man. It took me three shots, but I got my degree. And a lot of people with mental illness, if they're, if they're not pushed into disability, SSI, SSDI, they can actually make a good run at work. Absolutely they can. And, and even if they are pushed into, you know, the SSDI, it's like find organizations like us that are experts in how to keep your benefits and work so you can have, you know, the benefit of a job. And one thing I really want to stress, too, is have a vision of getting off those benefits and getting benefits good enough like like I've done yeah. and many others have done. Estate benefits, man, I'm rife with benefits. I've got a pension. I've got deferred comp. I've got disability. I've got Cadillac Medical through the state of Washington. And I'm so thankful for all those benefits. I've worked jobs where I had nothing. Yep. And this job is fantastic for me in that I can – 
and I get to give back, man. I get to do the DSHS mission statement, which is transform lives just by being having a mental illness and sharing it with others. Well, that level of uh, empathy and experience, you really get to sit with people and come alongside them. We talk about that in our work a lot. It's like we want to come alongside someone, meet someone where they're at, and then, you know, be a partner in their employment journey. It's like yes. you get to be an partner in, you know, their life journey and through, you know, them, their mental illness, like whatever they're experiencing. That is awesome. Thank like you're you. in the zone. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's a really interesting job and in that the greatest thanks I'll ever get is really just to uh, have somebody not come back and not know how they're succeeding, but know that the system, the mental health system, actually helped them succeed in some, in some form or fashion. And I was a little cog in that wheel. And maybe, maybe I didn't say anything to them that stuck. Maybe it was a mental health tech. Maybe it was a psychiatrist. Maybe it was a psychologist. But the coolest thing is to know that that whole system had a part in it. Two ways to break down stigma surrounding mental illness are, first of all, for people to get out and tell their stories and yeah. say, look, I've been through a living hell. It's been really difficult, but I made it out the other end and I'm doing okay. Secondly is to talk about how the mental health system actually works. Yeah, because it, it's like this big like mystery, right? Like uh, unless you're in it and understanding it, you don't really get opportunities to hear. Unless like yourself, Steve, you get to come tell us and, and educate like our listeners right now. It's like, like you said, this is how we're going to change, you know, the world here. We're going to talk about it. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And Thanks for your bravery. Oh, thank you for having me on, obviously. And uh, one thing about the system that works is it gets people to the right places where they can, like for me, when I got out of the state hospital, I went to Frontier Behavioral Health. And my caseworker at the time took me to Family Service Spokane. And that was really the start. That family service experience got me to a point where uh, I could... I could function again in society. It really helped me out. And it's just been, it's been quite a journey. It's been quite a journey. And really when my recovery took off was when I got the job at the state of Washington for Eastern state hospital, because man, then all of a sudden it was scary because I had pigeonholed myself as a peer specialist, a person with a mental illness. If that job didn't work out, I was going to have to uh, put that on my resume and see where the heck I could go elsewhere. Yeah, and like or, reinvent yourself. Reinvent myself, yeah. <laughs> you would have, by the way. I know it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. And the thing about that, though, is uh, for me, I don't have to. I love what I do at the state. The state's been very gracious. They've helped me carve out a position. I get to help patients. I do groups. I do tell my story to anybody who will listen. And I'm just really excited that that uh, that the state has given me this great opportunity. Can I tell a little side story? Please do. Well, there was uh, uh, Jay Inslee, our illustrious governor, showed up to uh, this Eastern State Hospital, and it was really cool. Uh, he got up there and he did a talk for us, and I never forgot this as long as I live. And I said, I'm going to be mindful of this day, just just this one day, but. So he gave a talk and I came up after him and I'll be darned you guys. I, I did a three and a half minute talk and I got a standing ovation for it. Incredible. And it was the biggest reward of my life because Jay Inslee, our governor was sitting right over there and he clapped and, and I was like, Oh my gosh, this is the culmination of 
how many ever years of heartache and toil and struggle. And it was phenomenal. It was such a great feeling to be there, and it really impacted my life. And impacted theirs, too. I mean, that's why you got a standing ovation. It's like, yeah. that's not by accident. I'm You connected to their hearts. Yes. <laughs> and the thing about that, too, was um, the coolest thing was it just all that hard work pays off. And people with mental illness, if they can stick with it and – work hard, have a, have some breaks in life and just stay perseverant. They can, they can do this stuff. Yes. We can do this stuff. And for me, the biggest source of my strength and the biggest source of support in my life is my faith in Jesus Christ. Because without that 26 or 27 years ago, I would have committed suicide. I was in jail. I was halfway psychotic I wasn't on the right medications. My life had just fallen apart. And my faith in Christ, it told me one thing, and that was there's hope. Christ is the great physician. He healed me from mental illness. And it's like Psalm 127 says, he sent his word and healed me and delivered me from my destruction. And now you're getting to, you know, share your journey and potentially be part of that healing process for others. I know this, like the way that we got introduced was, you know, our producer, you know, Dana Devine, uh, she saw you speak in um, a leadership Spokane class and she came and talked to me and she said how impactful, you know, your conversation was. And she said earlier today, cause she's here in this room. She said, um, she'll never forget that or you. Wow. That, I mean, that's incredible. Like, and so this is the impact that you're having. And I love that you're talking about, like, this is how we're going to normalize it. We're going to talk about it. That's what I want to be a part of. Yeah. This is our life. And we get to be a part, you know, help each other out. This is community. We're all experiencing different things in our lives. And mental illness is a, is a big part of many people's lives. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, let's just get together. Mental- figure out how we move up. Mental illness is, doesn't just affect the person who goes through it. I've learned it affects the family, relationships with friends. Mental illness affects a lot more than people think. And when I do talks in the community and I ask people, how many of you know someone with mental illness, major mental illness, uh, there's a few who raise their hands and they understand the, the rack and ruin mental illness can create initially. What hopefully people start seeing is the hope and the amount of blessing it can create on the other end for me personally the thing was I was very arrogant before I was diagnosed I thought I could outthink anything I could I had any problem you put in front of me I could figure it out well tomorrow. you were 20 so. I was 22 <laughs> yeah. yeah I was 20 as well but and that's that's normal but mental illness the silver lining was it made me a better person because I could empathize with people who struggle and who really have heartache in their life and one thing I learned was that's all of us all of us are recovering from something really profoundly tough some recovery looks different from others but all of us are in a recovery process and coming out the other end of that and being a better person is what it's all about no doubt yeah being the human journey is not easy 
It's not easy. It's difficult. Well, I see like you have a superpower from my perspective is this ability to connect to people on a one-on-one basis and take potentially, you know, complex issues and just make them human. Because when you you mentioned earlier about, hey, med changes happen, like you have to, as the person experiencing that, like re-understand who you're going to be because you're going to be something one a little different. I have never made that connection before. I will not forget that when I am working with, you know, our employees because that just makes sense. And you put it in a way that just resonated. So, like, yeah, you're, you're changing the world. And, and I am so happy that, yeah, you're just willing to just, you know, help people this way. Thank you. When I was a patient at Eastern State Hospital the first time, the second time not so much, I thought, why is nobody telling me that people can succeed with mental illness? And it lodged in the back of my mind. Was this a death sentence? Was this the end of my life? Was this going to be like my mom's life where she just never could get traction? And bless her heart, she was on medications that was really old. She was on, at one point, I think, 19 medications that didn't touch her symptoms. Dang. And that was no fault of hers. That was just the way it was. It's just the system. Well, it wasn't the system. It was the... The miracle of modern medications really came about in 2000s. Okay. And she was... She, so science she, caught up is what I'm hearing. A little bit. Uh-huh. It has a little more catching up to do. But my mom died when I was 16. So she never got... I never got to see my mom on a Bilify or Zoloft or one of these newer medications that works really well. And that's that was sad. But what I do know is my mom is one of my heroes because I know the hell she went through. And I she tried. And... Uh, she's now gone, but my old boss, the patient advocate, he uh, he knew my mom because he had a mental illness too, and he gave me a lot of inspiration to know that he worked there 20 years before I did. He paved a way for me, and now the thing I'm proudest of in my career is when I started at the state of Washington, there were three peer specialists in Spokane. I was me. There was a guy at the VA and there was a lady at Frontier. Now there's over 50. Wow. Okay. It's a, it's That's a market. Incredible. It's a market. And, and I'm not, I, I don't know if I had any part to play in that, but just to see that now a peer specialist role is an actual job market. That's fantastic because not everybody with mental illness can work with the mentally ill, but if you can and do, it's so rewarding, so rewarding. And I went through my arc of, uh, I started at the state and I was very afraid. I was scared. I, I, my confidence level was low. Yep. I'd been fired and quit jobs before I got fired. I thought, what if this is just another one of those? But 15 years later, the state still pays me. They can't get rid of me. And I'm actually a much, much more confident human being because of it. I have my deficits, don't get me wrong. But I go to my strengths. And I'm just one person out of many. There are a lot of people with mental illness doing great things with their lives, not just me. I know my story. I can't talk about other people's stories. But what I can talk about is that commonality that people with mental illness are in this together. We're not alone. We're not alone in the struggle. I used to feel that way. Now I see patients at the hospital and I can relate to and say they had it better, they had it worse, but we're in this together. 
Wow, that's so transformative to be able to help on that level. Yeah. I uh, I know as our time winds down now, this story's been so incredible. How about anything else you'd like our listeners to know about yourself or about mental health? Anything you want to say. Part of recovery is finding stuff you love and sticking with it. I love to box. I can't spar, but I love to box. <laughs> My doctor told me, Steve, you got some cognitive deficits. Don't get any more. And I was like, okay, I can deal with that. The bag is for me. The bag is for me, yes. Not the, not the actual person out there. But just finding your life again, reclaiming your life, enjoying things, staying encouraged, and also building a really good support system. It started for me with people who understood mental health issues. Now it's my church. And there are two things I want to stress. Number one, when I got out of Eastern State Hospital, I thought that was my safety net. Today my safety net is so much different than it was 25 years ago. I always believed that the more stressful my life got, the quicker I'd be to slip back into symptoms. It's been the opposite. The more responsibility I've taken on, the less my symptoms have gotten. It's really amazing. Wow. And secondly, support is critical in this battle with mental health issues or mental illness. Support being, it started for me with family service. Now it's my church. And people at my church have been fantastic. They have been so kind. They have walked me through a really hard time. I grew up in my church at the intersection out in the valley. And they knew me before I got sick. They've known me after I've been sick, and they know me now. And any way you can find support in the community, having a mental illness is critical. Support is support is 40% of what determines how well somebody will do when they get out of Eastern State Hospital. It's a big deal because a lot of people in the hospital burn their bridges. They really upset people. They lose friendships. Sure, It's that ability to build that again once you've gotten out of the hospital and be successful at it. It really makes a huge difference. It's not me. It's not my story. It's our story. And ours is a lot of people who have, who have helped me along the way, big and little, and who still show up and help. Steve, I just did resonate so much. Um, our, on our last episode, uh, we had Sarah Lickfold, the incoming executive director for Transitions, and she was talking about building community and that every person needs to really, you know, try to, they deserve to have community. And what you're talking about, that's what I hear. It's like, no, go find your community. It's going to help with your, with your recovery and just being connected. And just, yeah, thank you for sharing that story. Thank you for being here and sharing who you are. Um, keep going. Let's uh, change this world together. We're going to help employers understand, you know, these challenges and how to, you know, humanize and support people without being afraid. We'll keep this conversation going. And yeah, we're going to change the world. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. All right, Steve. Thanks, man. 